Good evening, everyone. I was just in the back, and I was sitting and listening and thinking, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Would you turn with me? This is off the subject. Just thought of it while I was back there. Psalms 119. It's kind of what we start normally a message upon. Usually when I pray, I think about this place in Scripture. A gentleman in his, I don't want to exaggerate, I think he was in his late 80s, maybe early 90s, um, was imprisoned for a good portion of his youth. He was resistant to the Lord all of his youth. He got in this prison and someone put in and gave to him a, a Bible. Just a little, little Bible. And at nighttime was the only time he could even think about it. So it's a long, long story. But it, at nighttime he would consider reading the Bible. And the only way he could read it was there was a light outside of his prison. He, couldn't, he didn't have a light inside of his prison room. And a light shined through, and he would read it one word at a time as he would move it to the light to listen. And he put into memory most of the New Testament. And he, he said to me, you need to consider Psalms 119 when you preach and when you pray. And so I want you and me to consider. And so you'll note on verse 18, I almost always use this verse. But let's read from verse 9. It says, how can a... And I'm going to take a little... Um, um, a little, oh, what's the word? Um, privilege, not privilege. Just a little grace with the, the Word of God. I'm going to change a couple of words. Not the meaning, of course. But I want to read it to men and women alike, young and old. How can a young person keep their way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. With all of our hearts, we have sought you. Do not let us wander from your commandments. Your Word, we have treasured in our hearts that we may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With our lips, we have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. We rejoice in the way of your testimony as much as in all riches. We will meditate upon your precepts and regard your ways. We shall delight in your statutes and shall not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that we may live and keep your word. The last verse that I wanted to say to you at this place is open up our eyes, dear Lord, that we might behold what I would consider the greatest privilege and the greatest treasure and the greatest honor that you and I might have, that we might behold wonderful things from your word. That's why it boggles my mind when some people go to churches and they'll go to other communities and they'll say, do you know about the churches in the area? There's the, the pastors in the area are not teaching the Bible. And I think, do they not read it? Do they not read it with any kind of sincerity or truth? Do they not consider what is in here? And do they take the privilege of changing what our Lord God has given us as an ordinance to do as pastors and teachers within the church? And so we have the privilege, if you would now, turn with me. Well, before we get to Acts chapter 19, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? I want to show you what's taken place here. And, and as, you go through the, as we go through the Bible, as we do, we, we learn certain uh, precepts from the Word of God. We learn certain theological uh, truths. Truths that we should base our church upon and our lives upon. And Paul is going to teach us a truth tonight 
that ought to impact us within the church in which we live. As we have learned, if, you're, if you, you stay in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I will come there in a second. Just listen. We have learned that Paul traveled from Galatia and eventually, as he promised, came back to Ephesus. It was while Paul was in Ephesus that he penned 1 Corinthians. And he penned 1 Corinthians to counter some faulty theology. It is, it is ill, it is wrong behavior for a church to build its theo- theological beliefs upon 1 Corinthians. Because there was so much going wrong there that Paul penned this letter so as to bring them back into focus. Now, when Paul is here in Ephesus, I'm coming to you right in a second in 1 Corinthians. He met what is what is what he determined as some so-called disciples. But they were following the wrong theological belief system. As good as it was, it wasn't after Christ. Which caused Paul to pen, now read with me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. Remember, he penned these words while he was in Ephesus to correct some faulty theology throughout the churches. He says in verse 11, I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Verse 12, now he says, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, that means Peter, and I am of Christ. He says in verse 13, has Christ been divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? In other words, he's not. He's just using his name so as not to, I think, to uh, disparage the, the names of Apollos or Cephas. So he says in verse 13, Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one would say... You were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Cephas. And beyond that, I I don't know whether I baptized any others. He's kind of thinking as he's talking. But then he said in verse 17, the very essence of what is our faith. Your faith by faith. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize. You, You should ask the question. Why? What, what were you sent to do, Paul? And that question is not just Paul's. It's anyone that ever stands or, or sits in front of a group of people and presents anything concerning anything religious. What were we sent to do? And Paul says, we were sent to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Jesus Christ would not be made void. See, what we do here, and and I hope it's not what I'm about to say sound wrong to you, is correctly, we 
give you the opportunity to discover within your own hearts what does Jesus Christ mean to you. That is, in essence, why I ask the Lord, move me aside, please, get me out of here. Because I want you and me to see what does the Bible say to my heart at this time. How will God speak to me? Not how will uh, uh, someone who is a, a pastor, uh, how can I manipulate or, or, or motivate you into thinking and doing more? I, I shudder at that thought. That's why I think from day one it's been hard for me to have altar calls. You want to know the truth of the matter is? I think I could have an altar call where almost every one of you would come forward if I did it like I think some people do to contrive it. With all due respect, I worked at, at a lot of crusades. I worked at some crusades. A lot was an overstatement because I'd, I didn't like what I saw. When there's a, a call for people to come forward, most of the people coming forward are workers to prime what they call prime the pump to get people to come forward. I don't want you to come forward because you're primed. I want you to come forward because you've fallen deeply in love with Jesus Christ. And so, Paul says, this is why we've been called. This is what we've been called to do. We've been called to, to teach you and you and me. We've been taught, called to teach each other the gospel, not in our cleverness of speech, so that we might make void the things that Jesus Christ did. So, if you'll turn now back with me to Acts chapter 19, with, with that background in mind in your hearts, we're going to see that Paul meets some people today who only knew of the baptism of John the Baptist. And what Paul is about to do in verses 1 through 7 is to correct their incorrect theology concerning the gospel. He's going to do for them much like Aquila and Priscilla did for Apollos. Take them aside and teach them better. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It came about that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were in all about twelve men. Dear Father, please, 
Let us not concentrate on those things that are not important at this point in time. Let us see what Paul taught these men. And in so doing, you, dear Father, found it worthy enough to put it within the Word of God so that you would teach us. So that we might not make some similar mistakes. But rather that we would be a people who were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That we would fall in love with your Son, our Lord and Savior. That our issue in our lives would be to follow you through your Son as closely and as diligently as possible. Teach us, dear Father, we pray. Move me aside, dear Father, we pray. In the precious and most glorious name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, the very name that you've asked us to come to you upon, we come upon the name of your Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember I said to you last time in uh, verse uh, uh, 21 of chapter 18, Paul said, look, I'll come back to you. Remember they asked him, look at, look at chapter 18, verse 21. They asked him, let me see if, I, if I'm in the correct place. Maybe we should look at verse 20. I knew that I messed up. They asked him to stay for a longer time. He didn't consent. But taking leave of them, he said, verse 21, I will return to you again if God wills. And then he set sail from Ephesus. So when Paul returns back to Ephesus, the first thing that he found was a major theological problem within the church. And he found some disciples. With the words disciples that he found, we encounter a problem. To move forward in this study of the book of Acts... More importantly, though, to move forward in your faith and in my faith, to move forward in our belief in Jesus Christ, we must know what is meant here by the words, Paul found some disciples. Or, if we don't take care of this, we could have a, a proof text, as some churches will do. They'll take a certain place in Scripture and formulate a proof text of why they do what they do. And some churches, some denominations, some religions have, have built their whole theological beliefs, belief system upon this place in Scripture, upon receiving the Holy Spirit. They will reason that receiving the Holy Spirit is a post salvation experience or that you need a second blessing. That when you came to Christ, it wasn't quite enough. Let me show you that it is neither a post-salvation experience or a second blessing. As a matter of fact, let me say to you what I believe Dr. J. Vernon McGee would say about second blessings. He says, second blessings? Are you kidding? He says, I must be working on my thousandth blessing. To know Christ is to be blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. Part of that blessings is when we sin and we realize that we've done wrong before God and we go to Him and say, Lord, please forgive us. 
Help us to be that new person. That is another blessing that we receive from the Lord when he forgives us of our sin. So in the statement in verse 1, we must deal with, with what Paul states by finding some disciples. Luke's description of them, calling them a disciple, does not assure any of us that they were believers. The word disciple, plain and simple, in the Greek form is Matthias, I believe, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. It simply means a learner or a follower. In the New Testament, the word disciple does not always refer to a Christian. Let me be quick to tell you this, though. Put this in your mind. Every single one of us who name the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as a Christian, we ought to be a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose here on this earth. To be a disciple, a follower, a learner. To not grow stagnant, but to grow in our understanding of the Word of God every day that we live. The Bible in the New Testament speaks of many disciples. Uh, The Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist, as we've heard, has disciples who followed them. Do you want to look at Mark chapter 2 with me for a moment? There are many verses. We could look at Matthew, Luke, John. They all say about the same thing as Mark chapter 2. And so let's just look at Mark chapter 2 verse 18. Mark chapter 2, verse 18 says, John's disciples and the Pharisees, this is John, John the Baptist, his disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and they said to him, him meaning Jesus Christ, they asked him a question, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples don't fast. As I say to you, there's many places in Scripture where you can find that it verifies that there are many so-called disciples of other people besides Jesus. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, we learn that even all the people who proclaimed to be disciples of Jesus Christ were not truly followers of His. In John chapter 6, verse 66, it says... As a result of this, as a result of some of the difficult things that Jesus Christ was teaching, and some people didn't want to conform their lives into what he asked of them, it says as a result of this, many of his disciples, the disciples, the people who called themselves followers of Jesus Christ, withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so... Back to Acts chapter 19, verses 1, 2, and 3, to reason that these men who call themselves disciples, to reason that they were already saved and yet void of the Holy Spirit is a dramatic biblical error. And we can't walk forward through this place in Scripture without at least biblically correcting what is being said here so that we understand what Paul is teaching these men. And so that we don't go spinning off into a direction where someone will say to you, 
Have you ever had a post-salvation experience? Have you ever had a second blessing? And I don't want you to be duped into thinking, no, I haven't, as a matter of fact. The reason that salvation comes before being baptized by the Holy Spirit, excuse me, to reason, excuse me, to reason that the Holy Spirit comes before there is this baptism by the Holy Spirit is a faulty interpretation. It commits not only an error in grammar, saying that all disciples therefore are are Christians, believers, but it also is an error of what is called, if you went to seminary, to school, comparative scriptural evidence. Comparative scriptural evidence, plain and simple, is how do we compare what seems to be taught in one place in Scripture but is not taught elsewhere? And where is the abundance of evidence about this belief, this this thought system, so to speak? How does it stand up when it's put up against what is said or what is taught in other places? In other words, these guys could have reasoned, yeah, we're believers. But Paul doesn't allow them to do that by the questions that he asks them. Watch, it's it's beautiful what happens here. For instance, let me say to you that other texts, other places within the Word of God makes it obvious that this particular place in Scripture cannot be used or cannot be uh, taught by some who might say that that you might not have the Holy Spirit once you've come to know Jesus Christ. Therefore, to really receive all the blessings that you need to have as a believer, you need to receive more of the Holy Spirit. You have to have this second blessing, this extra experience within your lives. To believe that would to contradict the clear teaching of what the New Testament teaches in the epistles, the letters that were written. These letters were written that declare every Christian receives the Spirit at the very point of salvation. And not to have Him, not to have Him, the Spirit of God, at the point of salvation is not to be saved. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Paul. Again, teaching about being baptized in the Spirit of God, being a believer. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, However, he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed, he says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And here's what he says about this. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... That person doesn't belong to him. You don't need to turn there, but listen. Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him, in the Spirit of God, in, in Christ, I mean, with the Holy Spirit of promise. So Paul, back in Acts chapter 19, verses 1, 2, and 3, does not assume that these disciples that we read in verses 1 and 2 were Christians. Why? 
because of the question he asks them in verse 2. He asks them in verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit? No. When you believed? This was a question that sought to determine their spiritual status. What is he going to do with them now that he has met them and they say they are disciples? Disciples of whom, he's going to ask them in a moment. A commentator, David Williams, explains the significance of Paul's questions when he says the way he framed his question, he says the way Paul asked implies that the Spirit of God is received at a definite point in time. And that time is at the very moment of initial belief. The moment you come to Christ. Verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? There is absolutely no space of time found in between the two events. In between, that is, believing and salvation. They're instantaneous. They happen in a moment in time. The moment you ask Christ in your heart, you receive the Spirit of God. And there is no... No way that you and I can believe or anyone would believe or entertain the belief that you could receive salvation without receiving all of the Spirit of God. You need more of Him so that you can be more powerful. Scripture doesn't teach that. So to answer their question... They say to Paul in verse 2, no, 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 no. We've not even heard of whether there is a Holy Spirit. We don't know. They confirmed to Paul that they were uninformed and therefore not yet believers in Jesus Christ. And so Paul, deciphering, understanding that, asked in verse 3 then, into what were you baptized? What happened in your life? To further clarify their status, they said, well, we've been baptized into John's baptism. And that's the same thing Apollos told Aquila and Priscilla. That was what was being taught because churches are popping up and and wrong theology is being taught and and people are, are moving a little bit away from what is the truth about the gospel. And that is the moment that you and I come to Christ... We are then and there baptized with the Spirit of God. He then and there gives you and me a special spiritual gift. And He then and there gives you this gift, as Paul taught over and over again, especially in 1 Corinthians, that He gives you this gift in Ephesians, so as that you and I can help equip one another. My gift is given For your benefit. Your gift is given for my benefit. And both gifts are given so as to benefit the body of Christ. So that we will be a church that God wants us to be. And so to deny that you have this gift that God has given you is to deny the very essence of what Christ has done in your heart. You need to serve the Lord. You need to exercise your gift. Now, people go, to, people go to conferences and they go to all sorts. They'll spend ki- all kinds of money to find out what's my spiritual gift. 
don't go to a conference. Don't spend your money foolishly. Just start doing something for the Lord. And you'll find out in due time what your gift is. What do you do? Do what you think you'd like to do. Do what you feel that you would be most comfortable doing in the church if you could do it. And find someone on staff and say, I want to get involved and, and become involved in the church using your gift. Now, I, 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 it, boggled, it would boggle my mind to think all of us would do it because, whew, we'd be overwhelmed. I mean, we'd be overwhelmed. But think, think of what, what, what this church could become if every single one of us did something of our spiritual gift as to serve the Lord. <laughs> We'd never have to ask for money. We'd never have to ask for help. We'd reach this community with such power and such force. We would be a movement for Jesus Christ like few places would ever be. I, I, I hold no hidden agenda to you. I long for that, for you and for me. I long to be a person and a people and a church that is obedient unto the Lord to see what God would do through a group of people that get caught up in wanting to serve the Lord through their spiritual gift. So they showed Paul in chapter 19, verses 1, 2, and 3, that they were disciples of John the Baptist. You see, the problem is, as, Apollo, excuse me, as Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos, John's baptism was a sign of repentance from sin. It was not a sign of new life. John did not come to do what Jesus Christ did. When they came to John in the wilderness, he said, Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means stop going your way and start going towards God. His kingdom is close to coming. And John the Baptist's baptism was not able to do what Jesus Christ did at the cross, nor through his resurrection, which gave you and me new life. To be baptized in the name of Paul, or to be baptized in the name of some church, or to be baptized in the name of some denomination is meaningless. You and I need to be baptized by the name and in the name of Jesus Christ. You and I need to fall in love not with a denomination, not with a church, not with a person or a preacher. You and I are called to fall deeply, head over heels, in love with Jesus Christ. If I am successful at teaching you that, then I will have done well. You and I, we need to fall in love with Jesus Christ. So John's, the Baptist's ministry, was simply a preparation pointing mankind forward. Look forward, he said. See, that's what the Old Testament did. The Old Testament looked forward to the coming Messiah. The New Testament looks backward at the cross for what would happen at the cross and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We look backward at the finished work of the Savior, the Messiah. So in a nutshell, in a nutshell, these guys, these 12 men that Paul met in Ephesus were at best 
Old Testament believers looking forward to the coming Messiah. And so in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, Paul leads them to Jesus Christ. And like many other people in the book of Acts, they confirm that they believe in the same way that many others do. And that is in verse 6. They spoke in tongues and they began to prophesy. I want you to note something before we tackle that. Verses 4 and 5. Paul did not instruct them on how to receive the Spirit. You don't need to go to a seminary. You don't need to go to a conference. You don't need to spend another penny on how to receive the Spirit and to to work according to the Spirit of God. You just need to get busy. Start moving chairs. Think, oh, I can't do much at church. I'll start moving some chairs. I'll just start helping. I'll do maintenance work. And after a day and a half, you realize, I don't want to do that. That's work. And for some of us, that would be work. I come to church and I see this one gentleman named Roland shoveling sand and he's built some things out near our parking area, a little uh, planter. I've never, ever, never, ever seen him down. And these days have been hot. And I've never talked to him and given him a hug for doing what he did. And saw, and I heard him one time saying to me, is it hot out here? Oh, man, am I tired? Or, whew, I can't wait to stop doing this. He loves it. I wouldn't. It's work. I don't like work. Look at these hands. They haven't worked a day in their lives. <laughs> so if I did that for about a day and a half, I'd realize, well, the Lord didn't give me that one. I also met a guy once that got really angry because he loved doing the chairs. He loved doing the work. He loved setting up and breaking things down after a potluck or when, things we did in church. But he used to get angry. He used to get angry while he was moving chairs at some guys that were doing a lot of talking. All they do is stand around talking and jabbering away. He was thinking to himself, grab a chair for crying out loud. Until one day he went by a guy that he was upset with and he heard this guy sharing Christ with this other guy. And he led him to Christ. And he realized he doesn't like doing that. He feels uncomfortable. He'd much rather move chairs. He said from that day forward, he never got mad at another person who was sitting there talking. He just, while he was moving chairs, prayed that God would use that man or that woman in that other person's life. You'll find out what you've been called to do if you just start doing something. Save your money. Give it to the church. Don't don't spend it on a, a conference. Just get busy. It might take you a whole year to find out what it is you do best or what it is that the Lord wants to bless you in. For the first few years in the ministry that I had with my wife when we did athletes, I never spoke to one group of people. I was scared to death. I wouldn't speak to the athletes. I wouldn't do anything. I just invited great, powerful pastors to come. And that was simple because I was working with the Dodgers, the Angels, the Rams, the Raiders. It was nothing for me to get Chuck Swindoll or Chuck Smith or or John MacArthur to come and speak. You know, I said, come speak to the Dodgers. Oh, okay. You know, if I said, come speak to some plumber friends of mine, I'm a little busy. (laughs) Come speak to the Rams. Oh, yeah. I got all kinds of guys to come and speak. And for, for the first five, six, seven years, I never once opened my mouth except let it open, introduce the speaker and open in prayer. 
until one day I was driving home with one of the guys that was brilliant, one of the best communicators I ever heard. And he pulled the, before we stopped at his house, he stopped and he said, John, he says, you, start, you should be teaching these guys. They, 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 they're following you. They're, they're, they're looking to you to help them. You ought to be speaking. I said, oh man, I can't do that. I certainly can't do that as good as you. And he stopped his car and he looked at me and he said, don't ever limit yourself again. And don't, for God's sakes, compare yourself to me. You do what God's called you to do. And little by little, that took place in my life. But for the first five, six, seven years, I forget how many it was, we did that. Um, I never spoke, ever, never. Didn't feel like it was a gift of mine. Just be busy about doing God's work. So note, in verses 4 and 5, Paul does not instruct them on how to receive the Spirit. Oh no, that's the Spirit's work within our lives. He just told them about Jesus, that's all. That's my job. My job for you is to tell you about this great Savior whom we can love. Paul said in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus Christ. That's all he said. Verse 5 says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Wasn't a big, big thing. It was just leading them to the right place, the right person. So what we ought to ask one another is, what is the significance in their speaking in tongues? Because that's another issue. To receive this second blessing, you need to speak in tongues, some will tell you. That is such incorrect theology. And they base it upon this place in Scripture as well as some others. The reason they spoke in tongues without question, folks, was to show everyone as the church is beginning in this case, that Paul had the same apostolic authority as the other apostles had. In any event, this is the last, the final recorded instance of anyone speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. So in order to interpret and to order, in order to apply what happened in Acts, you and I need to remember this as we study this great book. Acts is a book of transition. It documents the end of the old covenant age of Israel and introduces and starts the movement of Jesus Christ in the new covenant age of the church in God's most glorious grace. Listen now. This makes Acts, the book of Acts, a history book. It tells us what took place. How did the church become established? What is it that you and I, as a church, what orders have you and I been given? How should we do church? It's written in the book of Acts. You don't have to go to seminary to figure it out. Peter said to the people who came to Christ, Back way back in chapter 2 when he started the first church after the day of Pentecost. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to be completely devoted to the things of Christ. 
to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to communion, and to prayer. That's what a church is supposed to do. Teach the word of God so that God can come into your and my heart and move us in the fashion that he so desires. Because not everyone here tonight is at the same stage in their growth. Their growth meaning their growth in Christ. Some of you right now are growing like a rocket ship. You're just, whoa, taking off and you cannot do enough for the Lord. And some of us here, we're kind of just taking baby steps. That's God's business, not ours. The worst thing that you can do, husband and or wife, is try to compare your mate with how you're growing. Leave them alone. Let them grow in God's good time. I hear oftentimes, my husband or my wife, man, she, they, he's just a lug. He doesn't do anything. That's all right. Leave him alone. Let him grow in his pace. Let him grow. Let her grow. Let us grow in the way that God wants us to grow. So the book of Acts is a history book. It tells us what happened, but it doesn't necessarily become a doctrinal manual that prescribes to us what is supposed to happen. There's no set pattern of the reception of the Spirit in the book of Acts. Sometimes we see people receive the Holy Spirit at baptism. Other times we've seen the Holy Spirit come to people after they've been baptized. And sometimes we've seen people that received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. All three areas, all three places in Scripture, chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 10, there are different times people received this baptism of the Holy Spirit because the baptism of the Holy Spirit was applied in and through the apostles, depending upon where the apostles there. So the instant that we see tongues being spoken is erratic at best. It is not supposed to be a general rule. It simply has been given physically so that we could see there is a common status of believers in Jesus Christ given, by the way, only through the apostles. Let me prove it to you. We're going to close on this. Turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. This is just one place of many in the book of Acts. In verses 11, oh no, excuse me, chapter 11, verses 15 to 18, Paul says, or Peter, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. Let me read that again because you might have been turning still. When I began to speak to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning, meaning in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. So what do you see from verse 15? We're going to read a couple other verses here. Don't leave this place. What you see is there is a commonality between the belief, really because the church is just being started and they wanted to make sure that everybody was coming on on the same, same solid foundation. Verse 16, I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 17, therefore, if God gave to them, meaning the Gentiles, the same gift as he gave to us also, namely the Jews, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in his way? It was just a, it was just a sign so as to show them that there was this commonality, this common belief in Christ. And God, in his wisdom, chose that people spoke in tongues so as to verify they were believers, true believers. We don't have that today. We have this today that verifies we are true believers. Verse 18 then. When they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And how they knew that is there was a commonality. Is that the right way of saying that? There was a commonality, I guess, that they're all believing the same and they could see it, they could hear it, it could be verified. Which gave Paul the reason to write in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the fourth and fifth verse, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The church never should have been many denominations. It boggles and it just I get so angry that there's so many different denominations out there of people who claim to be Christians. If we were truly Christians, there would only be one hope, one faith, one baptism, one church. Followers of Jesus Christ. But the problem is men and women get prideful. They want to go off do their thing and they leave behind the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ if they're not careful folks you don't need another blessing if you've come to know Jesus Christ you've got every blessing you're ever going to receive now I think you should have many many other blessings as you go along there should be thousands of blessings as you see God move and, and work in your heart and your life The blessings of the forgiveness of sin that you might have committed. The blessings of his love. The blessings of his hope. The blessings of sorrow. Those things that you go through that draw you closer to the Lord. There are many blessings. But there is absolutely no one that needs to convince you that you need another experience so as to be more powerful. You're as powerful as you're going to get. You just need to get busy with the Lord. Serve him. Trust Him. Study His Word so that you understand the things of God. That will bring power into your life. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, pure teaching. This is like going to seminary tonight. Teaching the Word of God upon, upon the life of Paul as you allowed him to experience what he experienced and then you recorded it father so that we might know there is but one baptism there is but one hope there is but one body and one spirit there is but one lord one faith father god may we as a body of believers fall more deeply in love with your son tonight Do with us, Father, in your time what you so desire to do. Let none of us put pressure on one another to grow quicker or to slow down 
You're moving too fast. May we, Father, sense your call upon our lives and live for you as you see fit for each and every single one of us. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Love you all so much. Thank you very much for being here. Have a great, great evening.